KBOO Community Radio is a proud co-sponsor of Next Level, a benefit dance party on Saturday, January 21st, after the Women's March, starting at 8 p.m. at the Jade Club in Portland. This 21 and over event features Jen O oh of Strange Babes, KBOO's DJ Anjali, and Casual Aztec, as well as performances and more. Again, that's Next Level, a benefit dance party on Saturday, January 21st at 8 p.m. at the Jade Club, 315 Southeast 3rd Avenue in Portland. More information on the event can be found at kboo.fm on the right side of the homepage under Community Events. This KBOO program is made possible in part by KBOO Foundation members and a grant from Portland's Gay Directory, providing a resource guide of openly gay-friendly businesses, organizations, and services since 1996. New smartphone app available for all iPhones and Droids. For more information, you can visit gaypdx.com. This KBOO program is made possible in part by KBOO Foundation members and a grant from Radio Cab, the transportation choice of Portlanders since 1946, with service 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. Radio Cab has a mobile app that allows you to book a cab with your phone, available at the App Store, Google Play, and at radiocab.net. Or, if you prefer, you can talk to a real person at 503 503- Two two seven one two one two. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to Cutie Pog Talk, where we invite you to sit down and listen to what's happening in our queer and trans community out here in Portland. I'm Darian Jones, here with... Oscar Guerra, hey, Portland. And Phoenix Singer, hello. And our special guest tonight, Gregory McKelvey from Portland's Resistance. Hey, Greg. Hi, it's nice to be with you guys. Yeah, it's nice to have you here, Greg. So we're going to start tonight out reading a few different kind of quotes from history to kind of set the tone for tonight's episode. Okay. In order for nonviolence to work, your opponent must have a conscience. The United States has none. Has none. This was said by Kwame Ture, formerly Stokely Carmichael, a civil rights activist and leading member of the All-African People's Revolutionary Party. But it's not enough for me to stand here for you tonight and condemn riots. It would be morally irresponsible for me to do that without, at this time, condemning and contingent, intolerable conditions that exist in our society. These conditions are the things that cause individuals to feel that they have no other alternative to engage in violent rebellions, to get attention. And I must say tonight that a riot is the language of the unheard, and it is what America has failed to hear. It has failed to hear the promises of freedom and justice that have not been met and it has failed to hear the large segments of white society that are so concerned about tranquility and the status quo than about justice or humanity. Martin Luther King, The Other America, 1961. 68. And also, I wish I were a bank so white people would care about me and fundraise for my reparations as well. Anonymous quote. 
Wow. Well, those are some powerful, powerful statements to kind of mm-hmm. set the tone, I think, for tonight's episode, you know, which is uh, following a really, really surprising uh, turn of events here, I think, in uh, our nation, especially uh, here in Oregon, you know. Um, so tonight's episode, as you all know, is about the election results, kind of what happens next in Oregon and preparing Portland for uh, what has been known as Donald Trump's America. So, uh I guess reflecting on those quotes, you know, uh, what are your thoughts on those, Phoenix? Phoenix, how do you feel about the what you had to read there? Well, so Kwame Ture is saying that in a context of the 1960s, during the a moment in which the Black Panther Party is rising um, pretty quickly around the time of Martin Luther King's assassination, proving that nonviolence was not enough. That ultimately, that even if you were to refuse to be complicit through nonviolent means that they will kill you. And Martin Luther King mm. knew this. That's why many of his protests, he and other people that joined him were willing to be attacked by the Klan, by the cops, by vigilantes to show America that even when nonviolent, this country cannot abide by resistance. Mm. Thank you for that context and for bringing that up. I, you know, for me, uh, reading reading the anonymous quote for a friend, especially like banks, institutions, uh, uh, getting bailouts and finding uh, having this trajectory and this sequence of patterns um, of of these systems that that keep linear thinking, that keep things the same, and ultimately fund, as this coast was saying, I wish I were a white person so I can get my reparations uh, paid for, or I was I was a bank so my reparations can also be paid for. Um, same um, thing. Right. Yes, yes, yes. Very, very interchangeably. Yeah. How did you feel about those quotes, Craig? Um, I've been saying that Martin Luther King quote like all the time recently. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's really important because I think that a lot of people in our community, when the police declared that a riot was going on or whatever, did like a ton of just first level analysis and saying, oh, I don't like violence. I don't like destruction. Mm-hmm. But nobody's thinking about why and nobody's thinking about why those people are, are feeling unheard. And nobody's really talking about how, how we can channel um, that anger and frustration and disillusion into something positive for our community. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that's that's a really good kind of thought to kind of segue into, uh, you know, a big portion of the show today, which is kind of interviewing you um, and kind of trying to get a little bit um, more clarity brought to the conver- the conversation that's really being had um, in Portland right now with the, you know, the protests and what do turn into riots and kind of a, a lot of things that people have been seeing through the media. Um, you know, I know someone that's been... Uh, fortunate enough where I've been able to stream the the reality that a lot of people are kind of experiencing downtown and it's it's really it's really scary and and pretty daunting actually um and so honestly I guess to to kind of start this this interview off Greg it's let's let's get people familiar with with you like who are you like who is uh Greg McKelvey like what kind of kind of launched you into this uh, role that you have now, which we'll kind of get into a little bit later. Sure. So, um, yeah, I'm Greg McKelvey. Um, I am 23 years old. I'm a law student at Lewis and Clark in my last year of law school. Um, I graduated from Oregon State with uh, degrees in political science and history. Mm. And um, ever since then, I've been working in politics, running political campaigns and as a political advisor. Um and then that led me to also jump into activism. So I, I worked closely with Don't Shoot Portland mm. um, for a long time. And because of that, 
um, and my connections to that movement. Um, I was able to work on the Bernie Sanders campaign oh. and um, that's basically where I started like doing public speaking and such. Um, and so I did a lot of speeches just um, for rallies and stuff um, uh, for the Bernie Sanders campaign. And that's what kind of like thrust me into the limelight. Um, I was also elected as a delegate to the national convention. Um, and, and so I've just been doing politics, activism, law school, mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, running campaigns. And, you know, then recently this happened. And so we started uh, Portland's Resistance. Yeah. So, I, oh gosh, you, you keep creating these great segues to all the questions. It's amazing. Um, so when you say you, you kind of created Portland's, Portland's Resistance, what... Um, what kind of what inspired that? And to be really more specific, uh, one of the questions that I had uh, given to me later today from a community member is, uh, you know, what exactly do you think we're resisting to? Um, so the start of Portland's resistance was basically um, we thought that people were going to be in the streets no matter what, and we did see that on election day before Portland's resistance even existed. Um, so because I've had a lot of experience protesting, marching through the streets, mm -hmm. I know how our police force works and deals with um, uh, peaceful protests. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of these people are brand new to being in the streets and marching, and they wanted a centralized location of where these gonna start. Um, and also I wanted to make sure that people understood like the legal support number of who to call um, if you get arrested, um, that they would have support. Um, and also like how to do routes throughout. Um, there's all sorts of intricacies into having a successful march. Um, so I just wanted to like um, help use the experience that I've had to do that. Um, and what I envisioned it as at first was just for like these first few days so that we would have a centralized location and so that myself and a lot of others that have been involved in protests could kind of um, help guide so people know, um, you know, the legal support and, and how to stay safe out there. And then like it just took off on Facebook. Um, and so like we've been in 24 seven just organizing mode ever since then so that we can harness this energy into something positive for our community. That sounds amazing. I mean, what I hear from that is that you uh, were seeking this opportunity to empower your community into being aware of how to do things successfully and to also know, uh, as you mentioned, like the best way to to manage and facilitate a space uh, for resistance. Yeah, right. and, and you know, it wasn't my job and I still don't think it's my job to censor anybody else's activism. Mm. Um, and so I, I'm for all power to the people. So, I mean, there are marches and, and protests that have happened without Portland's resistance um, since Donald Trump was elected. But I just want to use the organizational capacity that I've learned and the experience that I've had to just kind of lend that to the people that might be new to doing this um, to just support in any way that I can. I, I think that's that's really good. That's really powerful in, um, you know, standing behind, uh, I think everyone right now is kind of what we need as a community. Um, and then really, I think something that I really want to clarify for people is kind of what's the difference from a peaceful protest? Or like, what do you view as a, as this peaceful protest? Or what does it mean to you? Um, you know, I, I think there's like a, a problem in, in just differentiating here, like, um, between good activists and bad activists. I mm -hmm. think there has to be a diversity of tactics. Um, but at the same time, a lot of the people that are coming out just for personal safety want to be involved in something peaceful. Um, mm -hmm. but, but I don't think, you know, it's our job to talk down on people that are out there that feel unheard, as Martin Luther mm -hmm. King said. 
um, but a lot of people do want to come out there and see something peaceful. Um, in my group specifically, um, thanks that in order to build our standing in the community so that we can reach our, our goals, which are actual policy goals, um, that to do that, we need to have a face of, of peacefulness and unity and um, somewhere that everybody can feel comfortable to express themselves and use their First Amendment right to push for progress. Because I really think that's the most patriotic thing that anybody can do. You know, our nation was founded in protests and I bet there were people that were yelling at the people throwing tea out in the Boston Harbor. Um, like, <laughs> what about that property? Or, you know, you're you're messing up the harbor where we need traffic to go through there today. That's violent. You know, um, that's violent or something like that. And I think, like, looking back on history, um, the people that have protested, I mean, whether it was the anti-war movement or civil rights or um, our nation being founded or women's suffrage or... Um, you know, even the liberation of LGBTQ people, like um, all of that, if you look back in history, when they were protesting, there were people um, trying to stick to the status quo. And it's always mm -hmm. the people that were protesting that end up on the right side of history. And so I don't understand why all these politicians or, or the cops or anybody um, just consistently are standing on the wrong side of history. Because mm -hmm. what do we want to look like in 20, 50 years, 100 years, when people look back and they say Donald Trump was elected? Do we want to be the people that were just complicit and okay with that? Or do we want to be the people that stood up as one? America and said no this is not okay yeah I yeah. think that's that's actually a really good um, kind of question when you think about uh, the message that we want to send to the nation from from Portland and you know this movement's gotten a lot of coverage I mean just again back to those Facebook videos there's 4,000 views in one night from you know one person here and there's been reports on national channels about you know what's going on here in Portland and so I guess you know one of my questions is what do you think the um, the message that it's kind of up to Portland to send to the rest of the nation and uh, response to uh, president-elect uh, Donald Trump I think that we have to one understand that he is going to be president um, you know, a lot of people are spending a lot of energy in trying to stop that, um, you know, talking about the Electoral College and such. And I think that um, last Tuesday was the time to do that, um, to try and stop Donald Trump from being president. Um, the way I look at it is, like, if, if somebody has a loaded gun to your head, do you, like, look in the barrel and, like, say, can we, like, find a way to get that bullet out of there? <laughs> or do you run, right? And I, right. we got to run. Um, and, you know... Donald Trump is talking about eliminating the EPA and, you know, taking away Obamacare and people say, give him a chance. I don't think our earth has the opportunity to say, give him a chance. You know, mm. I don't have the opportunity to say, give him a chance and see if I'm going to be taken off Obamacare, you know, and people don't have a chance. I don't have a chance to say, um, you know, let's wait and see if he's going to deport a bunch of my friends. You know, that's we can't do that. So what we have to do is build Portland um, to, to step up, you know, um, a lot of the things uh, on climate change and such, if the EPA is eliminated, has to be done now at the state level. Healthcare has to be done now at the state level. Um, and we have a lot of things locally with uh, racial disparity, not just in society, but um, in policing and, you know, the housing crisis here. And these are things that um, many people thought we might have an ally in the White House and we don't now so we need to make sure that we build our communities up so that we can uh, insulate ourselves from a Donald Trump presidency. Wow, I think that's definitely 
it's kind of the, the outlines for a really good sort of, I don't want to say battle plan, but uh, definitely a really good plan and uh, response for Portland. And, uh, you know, bef- I, I definitely want to get uh, a little bit deeper insights as to what maybe some of those initiatives might look like for um, Portland's resistance and uh, the community here in the upcoming year, because, you know, it's always time to get some measures out. Um, but before we do that, we're actually going to have to send you all off into our first commercial break here in three.
Beauty Park Talk. Hey, Portland. What's up, Hello. Max? Back with our special guest here, Gregory McKelvey from Portland's Resistance. So, Greg, when we, when we left off with our listeners here, we kind of were just about to, to dive into the conversation about, uh, you know, what the upcoming year really looks like for Portland to, you know, kind of, in a sense, mobilize people to uh, respond uh, to this uh, kind of surprise <laughs> that yeah. we have uh, have uh, at our feet so um yeah let's let's kind of jump in it like what uh are have you all kind of started uh working on an agenda for the um upcoming session uh do you have a coalition that you uh have be- begun uh kind of engaging so um because i've been involved a lot like in here we have like people that um are involved in our organization that have been working on a lot of these things already um, and I know a lot of the people that have been working on these things already, but we haven't specifically as a group started building like a large coalition, but we do have an idea of the policies that we want to push, um, such as like at the state level, ending um, the ban on rent control. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I also think that there's a little controversy and it needs to be worked out on the courts um, whether there really is a ban on rent control because the statute itself states that um, they can enact rent control if there's a natural or man-made disaster. And I would argue that our housing crisis right now is a man-made disaster. Mm, right. um, they want to portray it as just that, like if, if somebody lights your community on fire or something like that. Mm. But uh, if you get kicked out of your home, what's the difference than if your home was on fire? Um, I would argue that this is a man-made disaster um, done by you know, uh, the corporate elite and the political elite and the establishment and they're to blame and thus we should be at the city level to enact rent control, but it would be easier if we lift the preemption um, at the state level. Also, I think we need to go farther on climate change. Um, Coal to clean was a nice step, but it still allows us to be relying on natural gas um, which I would rather is find like another word for natural gas because natural gas sounds good, um, but it's not. It's a fossil fuel. And for everybody that's standing up um, against the the pipeline being built right now, like right. that's carrying Dakota. natural gas. So, um, but our, our current coal to clean um, transitions us off of like coal and puts us, you know, still allows us to use natural gas, which is still a fossil fuel. And I think we need to end the fossil fuel industry completely. Um, Mm -hmm. And and we shouldn't have any fossil fuel infrastructure in our community for sure. Um, I also think that we need to like talk and address the racial disparity um, in society uh, in Oregon and, and the racist past that we have. Um, Oregon was founded as a white utopia and, mm-hmm. and that's one of the reasons why we see so few black people here um, and it wasn't made for people that look like me um, and so we need to make it more accommodative uh, like just better for us and, and instead of just being like a white progressive liberal city we need to be welcoming for all people um, right now in Portland 64% of the people that are um, designated to be basically under different form of surveillance that the gang enforcement task force deals with are black um, when mm-hmm. only around 6% of our city is black um, and a majority and that's just black so yeah. um, uh, if we add other people of color um, it's, it's way even more um, and, and the majority of the people that are put on there um, are put on there for um, the clothing or the jewelry that they wear, mm. which is racist. Whoa, right. it's, it's racist. <laughs> wow. So okay. the smallest. So if you break it down into sections of the people that are put designated for the gang enforcement uh, task force, the smallest section 
is people that are self-identified gang members. Um, so it's basically wow. it's basically the police um, singling people out based on their family history or what profiling. they wear and dress like. They're profiling. Sounds like it got ended with HB 2002 uh, or it's created ridiculous. a way to report it, maybe. And uh, it's it shouldn't be constitutional because we have mm. an equal protection clause um, right. in the Constitution, and, and so it doesn't make sense that that's allowed to occur. But um, so those are those are some of the main things I think climate change, racial disparity in policing and in society, um, and also our housing crisis. That's a lot. That's a lot yeah. to kind of put on uh, your plate all at once, you know. Um, but I definitely think those are all needs that I hear that, and and that you're also talking about, um, um, you know things that are going on at the local Portland level and then uh, being that we have a state um, legislative session beginning in January, are there any specific um, uh, policies or bills um, that you all also support um, in the area? Um, Darian just mentioned uh, HB 2002, which is the end profiling law of the state of Oregon. And mm-hmm. I think we need that. Um, and, and it's not just about like baking cakes. Um, <laughs> it's about like if an ambulance is coming, you know, like for example, when we got beat out of city hall, when we were trying to testify against the police contract, um, the ambulance wouldn't come up cause they said it was too dangerous. Um, we were profiled. Um, wow. and, and so this isn't just about cakes and popsicles. This is life or death. Um, and so especially in a Donald Trump presidency, I also think, uh, we need single payer healthcare at the state level. Um, especially if Obamacare is going to be going away. Yeah. Um, I think that's crucial. Um, we need a healthcare for all system, and I think that healthcare should be considered a human right. And so, kind of, you know, just I guess, really, just staying on the the, the narrative of this racial disparity. Um, uh, and one of the questions I had was sort of, you know, what do you think led to Donald Trump's uh, winning of the electoral college? Uh, and you know, I think uh, a lot of the things that. Uh, people equate to it it seems to me um at least from the media is uh you know uh this notion of uh uh just the, like the, there's a there's a really weird uh, kind of notion that um he won because of a uh, the fact that you know the blacks like essentially what they say is the blacks didn't vote um and that's <laughs> not true um no, it's it's not. But I'm just curious to know your kind of insights because I think there's a lot more that goes into when we think, when we talk about racial disparities is the access to for people to actually be able to volunteer or to vote. I mean, is there actually a, a poll that they can get access to? Um, do they have transportation? Uh, and do they even know that they can vote? Because a lot of people, you know, they 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 end up in jail and they come out and they think that they can't actually vote. And so I think our society has a really good way of kind of compounding. Uh, racism in different threads and so I just want to know what your insights on uh, the kind of things that you could say equated to so I don't think that it's at all a coincidence that we went from our first black president to a president that basically ran on racial undertones and rhetoric Um, I I don't think that's a coincidence at all I don't think it's a coincidence also that um, after we, the Supreme Court gets rid of the Voting Rights Act mm. um, and all these poll stations close that we end up with one of the most racist presidents. I mean, I can't say he's the most racist because we had like 13 presidents that were slaveholders. Um, <laughs> but 
in my lifetime, which isn't that long, but in the history that I've studied, you know, we haven't seen a campaign like this right. where he launched his campaign on racism. You know, this is a guy that was sued twice by the Justice Department for not renting to to black people um, when the New York Five was um, wrongfully imprisoned for mm-hmm. um, right. raping a woman that they did not do that to. He called for their execution so that and, and called them thugs, and they were innocent. You know, um, this isn't new. Racism isn't new to him, and that's why I don't get the let's give him a chance. Um, maybe he just campaigned on this. No, he didn't just campaign on this. Like this is how he's lived. This is what he's about. Um, but when it comes to the electoral college, it was designed to make sure that cities didn't have more power over rural communities. Um, and, and I think that these people um, that vote for Donald Trump, um, they're they're like they feel like their America is slipping away. You know, make America great again, mm-hmm. um, and they want it back. And I'm hoping this is their last dying breath and there's not too much damage in it, um, mm. but there probably will be. Um, but I really think, you know, they're scared. They saw the a first black president um, and then a woman running um, and they see all this stuff about gay rights and um, civil rights and, and things like that. But um, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter to them. They're, they're like, when is the when is the white man going to get a break in America? Right. <laughs> right. And... Um yeah, yeah, Phoenix, I think you've got something. Yeah, so um, I just want to point out the statistics of who voted. Um, majority of white men and women age 18 to 29 voted for Trump. So this is clearly something that's p- fully part of our generation. Mm-hmm. Um, I also just wanted to point out on that same note, um, Colin Kaepernick, who recently got in trouble for kneeling, um, refusing right. to make a stand um, for the national anthem. He recently described why he didn't vote. You know, I think it would be hypocritical of me to vote. I said from the beginning I was against oppression. I was against the system of oppression. I'm not going to show support for that system. And to me, the oppressor isn't going to allow you to vote your way out of a, out of your oppression. So my question is, is electoral politics really the be, the be all end all? Because this country was built literally to support slavery. The founding fathers um, were threatened by England with abolition and so they revolted. This is something that uh, a lot of historical scholars have said. So is electoral uh, politics our way to liberation? It seems like this very country is built on genocide and enslavement. And this was really a revolt in favor of it. Possibly, but I think one, I've traveled all around the world and I really do love America. Um, And I think that we are the only country in the world that has revolution built into our constitution. Um, You know, and we almost saw it this year with Bernie Sanders. Um, and I think that there's nothing more American than pushing for progress because America has a horrible, dark past, but we do progress. And present. And present, yeah. But we do progress and we have the ability to progress. Um, and and um, maybe it's not going fast enough, but um, and a lot of people are still suffering, but I think that there's definitely a false equivalency. I saw... Um, and I'm no Hillary Clinton fan whatsoever. And I think mm-hmm. that she is probably the reason that we have a Donald Trump presidency. I think if, you know, the DNC didn't conspire against Bernie Sanders, we'd probably be looking at a Bernie Sanders presidency right now. Um, but we can't um, not think about the Supreme Court. Um, so if Donald Trump gets four nominees to the Supreme Court, that does huge damage oh, to any sort of progress that America can make. Um, I saw... And I supported Colin Kaepernick um, and what he was doing. But I saw a quote from him like that said, um, it's almost like they're competing about who's less or more racist. 
and that's just a false equivalency like there's no question who's more racist there um but i do think that hillary clinton has been a part of perpetuating systems that that are um discriminating against people of color whether that was perpetuating the war on drugs whether it was the super predators comment whether it's just been her corporate uh ties um but at the same time uh i, I look at this pres i think the presidency is not as powerful as people think um it's congress and the supreme court that are the most powerful um, and we have a very scary Republican Congress and I think Donald Trump will sign anything that comes to his desk from that Congress and will put people on the Supreme Court that are gonna you know not allow us to make common sense gun legislation that are gonna take back the discrimination laws that we've been able to build um, and that could possibly reverse Roe v. Wade what kind of damage would that do to our country um, and so I agree that we do have to do things outside of the electoral process, but at the same time, I don't think we can um, ignore the fact that politicians do impact our lives right now, and some are worse than others. Mm -hmm. I'm definitely not going to disagree that politicians impact our lives. I think it would be silly to say that, but I do have a concern about really the convergence of interests that Republicans and Democrats have had, which was the maintenance of the settler colonial system, the continued dispossession of native peoples, the investment in the prison industrial complex of the modern form of slavery, imperialist warfare, drone warfare. These are all things that the Democrats have agreed with, with on Republicans. With corporatism. Yeah, and corporatism. So it's, to me, it seems like the Democrats are just the nicer face of racism, whereas the Republicans represent the we have Klan um, uniforms in our closet. But the, the thing is, when the Great Migration happened and millions of black people escaped the South to the North, they faced different kinds of like Northern liberal racism, which often presents itself as not racist. That is something that a lot of people, including those who supported Hillary Clinton, when BLM protested Bill Clinton, he said to their face, the reason why I passed the 1994 crime bill is because all of you are violent. Though we really, I, for me, it seems almost impossible to seek liberation in a system in which both parties support the structures that enslave and colonize us. I don't think we can escape that through voting. Sure, but it's so easy to vote. So we only have three <laughs> so, parties, right? Well, we have more than that, but um, but like it's it's yeah. it's so e we have a pirate party. Um, but it's so easy it's so easy to vote. You especially in Oregon. So um, I agree with you that um, voting is not enough. And if we would have if Hillary Clinton would be president, no. we would have huge problems still. With but Trump's it's so easy to vote. There. And so I don't get why we're spending so much time not here Ooh. today, but in general as a country talking about this vote that we just had to fill out a bubble that I think does affect our lives. But right. we need to put in the work, and that's what the reason for the resistance is in the other four years. So I think, you know, kind of drawing us back into what that vote has done and really kind of focusing on, you know, this new uh hierarchy that we're kind of in uh where people forget that there is you know donald trump but uh on the side in the sidelines reading a book menacingly might be mike pence and uh, you know uh, can i say some things about mike pence you know yeah i, I got some really big questions and i really want to know how you feel about uh two days ago when he was appointed the the head of the donald trump's transition team uh and we're well, really was replacing chris christie so mike pence said like in the past that 
um, we shouldn't help fund your health care if you're gay and have AIDS until mm. you go through conversion therapy. That's what yeah. we should fund. What the hell? Um, he also said that um, he also said that um, women that uh, uh, have an abortion um, should have to pay for the funeral. Wow. Yeah. Mm. And that is the person who of the fetus. Mm. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think you know people really don't uh, realize the magnitude of this presidency, this pre this presidential election, <laughs> and the fact that you know right now we're kind of looking at a position where we were, let's say, eight, twelve years ago, when you know a president had control of both the House and the Senate, and uh, that's kind of exactly what we have right now. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, essentially, it's it's just. Um, I think the the reality is that we uh, need to get together as a as a group, um, just like you're saying here, and kind of work on things at the local level here in Portland, um, and kind of reflect on our community and increasing that. So, on that note, we're going to take our next break here. In three, two. Oh, 
uh, I also, we didn't expect to raise $100. Um, it was more to just say that this was not us and we want uh, to make sure that it wasn't us and the damages that are done, we're still gonna take responsibility for. Um, but but that said, um, that money's gonna be invested right back into our community. Not $1 is gonna go to a corporation, it's gonna go to groups like, you know, uh, I don't wanna name groups because I don't know if they're gonna accept the money. Um, but right. it's going to go to the groups that are working towards the types of things that our platform is, is working towards. And the fund says it's to rebuild Portland. That's what Portland's resistance is all about. And that's what these groups are all about. So I promise you Chase Bank is not getting a dollar. And I promise you Black Lives Matter movements are getting a lot more. Some of these rumors that come with the territory of getting more uh, media attention, I suppose, and certainly Portland Resistance has been receiving a lot more attention in media. Um, thank you for elaborating on, on what messages are true and uh, which ones are not. Um, is Portland's resistance, um, uh, people, you know, we've heard other things like Portland's resistance is the cause of, of the riots that have been going on. And um, what is, uh, you know, uh, Portland Resistance doing to help um uh, and so uh, what would you say to to like address some of those things that have been coming up and um, for one we are providing legal support um, for people that are arrested not at our rallies um, not one person has ever been arrested at any of our rallies um, or protests um, and I also want to make it clear that there were going to be people in the streets no matter what um, and we're still helping those people um, and and but when it comes to people um, saying we're, I get it from both sides, right? Mm -hmm. I get the radicals that are like, why are you funding Chase Bank when I'm not? And then mm -hmm. I get like the just neoliberals that are like, why are you inciting riots when I'm not? But it's mm -hmm. not my job to censor anybody's activism. All I can do is lead by example. And what I'm gonna do is set a peaceful example, but I'm not gonna yell at you. I'd rather for doing whatever, for smashing Chase Bank's windows, I'd rather yell at Chase Bank for ruining our community. Mm. Yeah, that's a, that's a really, Really powerful statement. That said, it, it's not it's not us doing the riots, but the you know the reason is because there's no riots. Um, <laughs> we have four thousand oh, people in the streets. There was a white riot. I saw on the news. If you uh, yeah a white riot. Um, if you have well, just white folks. If you have there. there's you know there and, and I'm also I need to address this. Um, I am so upset with the police and the media in saying that it's the anarchists doing this because mm -hmm. you cannot blame a legitimate political ideology for the group of for the actions of certain individuals. I don't care if they're self-describing anarchists or they're not. There's no anarchist groups conspiring to riot, you know? Like this is a political ideology that whether you know it or not, a lot of people especially in our you know circles possibly subscribe to this ideology mm -hmm. and like this this tactic of division coming from the media and the police uh it, it just really makes me upset and then the fact that people are buying into that especially when people know me i've been out in the streets for uh five years marching all the time and so to to hear this stuff like oh good activists versus bad activists or um there was something about we have peaceful protesters telling us who the problem people are no you don't mm -hmm. you don't have peaceful protesters telling you anything like that because we're all protesters and we have a diversity of tactics um, but we're all after the same goal and that's to dismantle the status quo in the system as it is and create a new Portland here um, that I think we all want to see um, that includes equality for for all um, but 
but this idea that like it's us versus the anarchists and that uh, there's never once been anything from Portland's resistance that said it wasn't us, it was the anarchists, never once. But then I have people on both sides, you know, I have some people saying you incited a riot and then I have some people saying, hey, why are you blaming our groups for the riot? I've never once said that and no one from our group has and the page has never said anything like that. So I'm really upset when people say, you know, I don't support the state and I don't support the corporate media until they say something that I already kind of thought and now I'm running with that. If you don't support the state and you don't support the corporate media, then why are you gonna play into their tactics of division? Dang, that is, yeah, thank you. That is really what I think people really definitely needed to hear um, and I think the clarity. Um, and you know what, I kinda, I'm, I'm not sure if anyone else has a question, but I have, I've got one more really, really good question. Um, and it's it's about your, uh, what seems to be your friendly relationship with uh, Portland police and uh, Mayor Charles Charlie Hales. Uh, Is that a joke? So. Uh, it's me making a joke. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, was <laughs> like, I, was, I was about to be so livid. <laughs> um, just because, uh, well, there have been some things that, you know, the police are working with the peaceful protesters um, who, you know, no one really identifies, but it definitely seems like they might not be people of color and that uh, those groups are the people to, you know, look like they're safe, but maybe these other groups, uh, the police are looking out for and they're trying to trying to stop and so is it true that um you know since you're leading these peaceful protesters that the police are um working with you because what i what looks identified to me in the media when they say peaceful protesters it doesn't like any people of color people of color look like the people the police are chasing yeah we're scary yeah so especially when you have a megaphone black person with a megaphone that's scary okay I will never and have never spoken or collaborated or talked to or snitched to or had anything to do with the police. I can't stand the police, and I have mm-hmm. a long history of dealing with the Portland police, getting beat by the Portland police, being pepper sprayed by the Portland police, being handcuffed by the Portland police. I don't mess with the police whatsoever. Um, uh, and honestly, I don't think that there is anybody giving them any information. If there was, we would have seen charges other than disorderly conduct. We would have seen people charged mm-hmm. with destroying property and vandalism and stuff like that. So I don't think there is not one peaceful protester. Um, you know, I it, I wouldn't be surprised if there was somebody that had never protested before that was like, hey, I saw some scary stuff. But there's nobody like pointing people out or anything. And like Mike Marshman said something the other day that like if we want it, if we want to protest or something, you just call us. We'll give you a permit. We'll even make the route for you. We're protesting why? you. Why? Why would we want? you to make our route mm-hmm. when we're protesting you why would mm-hmm. like do you think the people that are throwing tea into the boston harbor got a permit to throow the tea into the <laughs> harbor no of course not um where we can't protest the state and then ask the state to help us do it charlie hills also said that you have to do more than uh protesting you have to engage in the political pro- pro- process protesting is the political process there's nothing more patriotic it, there's nothing that forces change more than protesting and it's so, a huge part of the political process not to mention a did try and get involved in the political process and go to city hall and testify against the police union contract and he beat myself my whole group men women children disabled elderly um people out of city hall so to say oh just come in uh, to city hall engage in the political process we tried that and you beat us out um mm-hmm. so no i have no interest in talking to the police i will not ever sit down with the police and i uh, have sat down with charlie hills before and i will never do it again because i lost all respect for him after i saw him beat men women children disabled elderly people out of city hall 
And so, mm. wow. Um, so when, when we think about that and this, this situation with the police and how they're supposed to be, you know, our protectors, our guardians here in, in Portland, um, I, I really am curious to know about, you know, your safety and the safety of kind of all of the organizers that are working for Portland's resistance. Because I know at the, you know, the vigil, there was some, there was a discussion that, that's kind of started in the middle about uh, the fact that a lot of the organizers in the group have had their, you know, photos posted on Craigslist with, you know, essentially bounties out for them and their their imprisonment and essentially their 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 death. And it's 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 um it's it's terrible. And I just I I really you know want to know what is the best way that we can kind of you know make sure that you're safe and you know the organizers are safe and mm-hmm. the, the real 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 realities of that because there is a neo uh, Nazi movement that's coming up here in Portland. So mm-hmm. I'm under constant death threat, um, but I have been for some time. Um, before this happened, it's definitely amped up. Um, I just watched a whole episode on myself um, on conservative conspiracy um, show about how I'm a DNC plant funded by George Soros, and I'm like, I wish. Um, so <laughs> get that um, money. So, um, but what's funny is the the cops say protect and to serve. We're the ones under constant threat. Yet at a rally or a march, they're sitting pointing towards us. What they should be doing is looking the other way, watching out for these neo-Nazis and these, um, you know, extremist patriots, um, watching out for them because they're the ones that are threatening me all the time. I've never Mm -hmm. once threatened somebody's life. Um, So... But at the same time, I don't work with the police, so I've never once told the police, hey, I'm under death threat, um, because I honestly feel like I'm under the biggest death threat when I'm around the police. Um, mm-hmm. uh, with that said, um, while, while I am under a constant threat of death and stuff, um, and, and it is, you know, I'm not going to lie, it's scary, but um, I, I think there's only two ways for this to end for me, and that is in my death or in... Uh, completely flipping the table in Portland and in seeing a political revolution here. Um, So I'm going to keep fighting until one of those two things happens. But what I'm worried about is all these people and I shame on the Oregonian for publishing all these faces and Mm, those names of everybody arrested, including people that were underage, posting all of that because now every single one of them is getting death threats. And that's who I worry about because a lot of these people had never been in the streets before. Mm -hmm. So we always hear you can't let the terrorists win. Um, These people... Um, are now terrified and so who knows if they're gonna um, what I would say engage in the political process in protesting um, or as you know our police call rioting but um, who knows if they're going to do this anymore because you know these people are now threatening them and uh, and we also have to talk about the fact that these threats are real these are not empty Facebook threats or anything like that these are unstable people they're militia members they open carry have all sorts Mm -hmm. of guns Mm -hmm. all over the place and this is what they've been waiting for for to be emboldened to do this kind of stuff. I mean, we've seen Trump supporters come out the woodwork that were never saying anything, and then when Trump won, they're like, yep, I'm loading up. And it's the people that were just uh, peacefully protesting that I worry about. And also, nobody's looking into the fact that, one, all those charges were um, dropped or you know, yeah, right. uh, are, are made into violations. They can bring them back later, but they're not going to because there's no evidence because right. they didn't do anything other than peacefully protest. They're arrested for disorderly conduct or interfering with the peace officer, which is code for, I arrested you for peacefully protesting. And then they're getting threats 
as if they were the ones doing any sort of destruction to the city, yet not one of them has been charged with doing destruction to the city. Um, so they come to peacefully protest, now they're under constant threat, and those are the people that I worry about the most, not myself, and that's our number one priority for Portland's resistance right now, is not the money, is not you know uh, more protests or anything like that, it's the fact that these threats are real and we need to keep these people safe, and so that's why you've seen less of us into the streets and less of us talking about funds or anything like that, because the number one thing I'm thinking about right now is making sure that people live through this. So how can, how can you know, people do that? How can people engage with Portland's resistance? How can we help make these people safe? If you don't feel safe or you are arrested, please message um, our page or, or email us at portlandsresistance at gmail.com. Um, the Facebook page is Portland's Resistance, and we will use all of our capacity possible to make sure that we keep you safe. And that looks like things such as safe houses, um, you know, getting you out of town if we need to, um, mm. because, you know, we can't take this lightly. Um, yeah. And uh, also just in general, just building community which is what Portland's resistance is all about so that we have ways to keep people safe because um, moving forward through four years of a Trump presidency we're all going to be under threat for mm -hmm. all marginalized communities um, everybody at this table right now is going to be under threat um, and so moving forward how do we organize to keep people safe and that looks like phone trees that looks like securing your social media that looks like locking your door um, and maybe securing it more. Um, and, you know, it, it's just scary. It's really scary. I've always been uh, like so anti-gun in my whole life. Like I want guns to not exist. And now I'm like, dang, in this scary world, should I have a gun? Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I don't know what to do because I've always felt like I was more at risk of hurting myself than I was of actually being at threat by somebody. And now it's like the scales might have tipped and maybe I'm more at risk of being hurt by somebody. Um, but yeah, we need to build community and please get out our group um, if, if you feel unsafe because we will stop everything to make sure that people are safe. That's our number one priority. I don't care what we have to do. I will come to your house because uh, it's not okay and, and, um, and, and it's my number one fear that somebody's actually going to get hurt um, and you know, somebody did get shot. Yeah. Um, we yeah. live in a scary America right now and Portland's resistance isn't here just to um, make policy changes or just to protest, but also so we can build community. And you can't do that unless people are safe. Um, and that's my number one priority and what I work on 24-7 now ever since uh, these threats ha have popped up. We are so lucky to have you and Portland's resistance in the community. Um, just, you know, people don't take this as, you know, uh, the reality and the urgency isn't placed on it and the fact that, you know, people's lives are are at risk. So, you know, Greg, we, we all want to thank you so much for joining us here today on the show. Um, Anytime. You know, I want everyone out there, if you have the chance to take a look at Portland's resistance page on Facebook, you can like it, you know. Follow Absolutely. me at Gregory McKelvey too, um, or at G McKelvey on Instagram. That's awesome. So with that, you all, we're going to end tonight's episode of Cutie Pog Talk. Tune in next month. Thank you, guys. Bye.
You're listening to KBOO Portland. The time is 6.59. Up next, we have Hard Knock Radio. But first, some announcements. On January 20th, during the coronation of Donald Trump, Grassroot News will host a very special show, The Soul Music in Movies, The Soul of Soundtracks, on From the Grassroots, where we agitate for social change with music and commentary. From the Grassroots, with local and national political commentary provided by Landon Kroll and musical analysis by our art historian, Diane Johnson. From the Grassroots, January 20th from 8 until 10 p.m. on 90.7 FM, KBOO in Portland. KBOO Community Radio is hiring for our Youth of Color Production Internship Program. This internship is open to people of color attending college and or under the age of 30. This is a six-month internship for 20 hours a week for $20 an hour. Responsibilities include the selection and preparation of KBU content for national distribution using a variety of digital audio workstations and helping to develop a digital content strategy for promotion of KBU content. Deadline to apply is Friday, January 27th at 5 p.m. 